0: Imagine a wave on the horizon. It's so far at first, you don't even know what to make of it. You don't even know it's a wave. But in due time, you'll know it's coming. And what then? At what point does innocent curiosity turn into slight concern? Concern to urgency. And when does fear creep in? I feel like we've all experienced this at one time or another in our lives. We learn of some approaching calamity that we're going to have to face. A major exam, the impending death of a loved one, or a looming confrontation. And it'll make us go through those stages of concern, to urgency, to fear. Sometimes it can play out over months, sometimes weeks or days, and sometimes even hours or minutes. But imagine this playing out over generations, over hundreds of years, an entire people going through this process, a sort of. Collective experience. What must that be like? Each generation seeing this wave getting closer and closer. And of course, on an individual level, you only sort of experience this in snapshots, in individual moments relative to the whole experience And you only get a feel for what that stage must have felt like. You know, when you first see the wave coming... ...versus when it's knocking on your door. But each generation does get a sense for what it must have felt like. Because, of course, these societies that we're about to talk about today... ...told stories and histories of their people. And so they knew what had come before, and probably had an idea of what was coming next. By the late 17th century, the Takesta had to have known what was coming next. They had to have seen the writing on the wall. The pieces were all there. And they could see the waters around them filling up with more and more European ships, And word of the European machine making inroads on the North American continent had to have made its way down to the shores of Biscayne Bay. And so South Florida's natives could see this wave coming for a long time. I wonder if the Tequesta thought, at any point, that this might be the end of their people. I can see how it would seem like a preposterous idea. They had lived by Biscayne Bay for thousands of years. War was nothing new. But as we know, this would be different. The wave is about to start getting a lot closer for the Tequesta, hitting them with so many precursor waves that they didn't even know which was the big one. Welcome to the story of Miami. Episode six, the last of the Tequesta. Of course, we know just by looking around today that the big wave took the Tequesta out completely. And it also took others out along the way. And we can follow this destructive wave backwards in time and northwards in direction to the American southeast at the beginning of the 1600s. Now, you might have heard of the Creek people. They're one of the more well-known tribes, and actually they were a collection of tribes who dominated a range that included modern-day Tennessee... Alabama, Georgia, and parts of North Florida. You might have also heard them referred to as the Muskegee people, different name for the same group, and they were descendants of the great Mississippian mound builders. Now, their initial contact with Europeans was relatively benign. Spain focused on delivering the Pope God-fearing native Catholics, while the British and French were more economically inclined establishing trading outposts throughout Creek Territory. Now, if you recall from last episode, by the end of the 1600s, England's colonies had spread like a tea-drinking octopus from New Hampshire all the way down to Georgia, and the French had made their way from Canada down to the Gulf of Mexico. So, over the course of 100 years, the Creek people found the world of European colonialism encircling them on all sides, with Spanish Florida to the south, the British to the north, and the French to the west. But before the Europeans had even physically moved into Creek lands, they first began to wrest land away from the natives on the periphery of the Creek. And as they did so those peripheral tribes became some of the first victims of European expansion and began pouring into creek territory, throwing the traditional way of life into complete turmoil. And you can just imagine what this looks like. If we think about that wave, this is the moment where you see it perhaps starting to wash up debris onto the proverbial shores of the creek. From other places it's already reached. Of course, the debris here is human life and cultural genocide in many cases. But the Europeans didn't cease their advance at the edge of Creek territory and eventually expanded into Creek lands. Now, the Creek did fight back, and although there were moments of victory, disease and advanced weaponry were just too hard to overcome— and so some of them decided to flee to the relative sanctuary of Spanish Florida. The majority settled in North Florida, and interestingly, some of them would eventually give rise to the Seminole tribe through a process of ethnogenesis. But a few small bands pushed further south, bringing the shockwaves of European expansion all the way down the length of Florida to the quiet, watery world of the Tequesta and Calusa. And when the Tequesta finally met the creek, it had two very different people in very different stages of a similar experience. Now, the creeks were fierce and battle-hardened by the conflicts they had left behind and well-versed in the modern battle tactics brought by the Europeans. They had already been pushed off their ancestral lands for good. The wave had now washed them down to Biscayne Bay the way they'd previously seen their cousins pushed into their lands. The Tequesta, by comparison, were relatively peaceful and weren't yet staring into the face of annihilation quite as closely as the creek, so they were woefully unprepared and mismatched. The creeks reportedly raided Takesta villages and enslaved men, women, and children alike. And this was all happening at the worst possible time for the Tequesta and Calusa. Because as the 1700s opened, their numbers had already been heavily diminished by disease since their first encounter with De Leon's expedition almost 200 years earlier. This brutal decline in population left them unable to defend themselves against the Creek invasion. And the Creek's scorched-earth tactics... And practice of brutally enslaving women and children struck fear into the hearts of the various South Florida tribes, who soon gathered their things and fled south. Of course, as they poured into the Keys, they found themselves cornered, with their backs against the waters of the Florida Straits. And so in 1710, a desperate group of chiefs from several South Florida tribes turned to the Spanish, the only Europeans the South Florida natives had maintained any sort of consistent relations with and sailed to Havana to ask for aid. The Spanish readily obliged, sending a handful of ships to ferry the survivors away. But when the Spanish arrived in the Keys, they found roughly 2,000 natives awaiting them and were only able to take about 280 of them back to Havana. But the dense urban landscape of Havana was a recipe for disaster. And 200 of those who made the journey promptly died from disease. It was so bad that the 70-odd remaining natives in Havana decided that they would rather face an uncertain future amongst their people in Florida than remain in Cuba. And so they sailed back home. Eventually, the Tequesta were able to return to Biscayne Bay in small numbers. And it seems that they began settling into the new order of things, because the Spanish tried to evacuate them for a second time in 1716, but they actually refused to even board the ships. And you talk about being caught between a rock and a hard place. I mean, can you imagine refusing to be rescued because you knew it might lead to death all the same? Just, you know, a different type of death? And on a foreign land? See, if the Takesta feared for their lives at Biscayne Bay, at least it was their home. It was the same place their ancestors had lived and fought and died. And how much worse could it get? And I don't mean to be insensitive. I mean it in a very real sense. There has to be a point where things get so bad, you wonder whether you've measured the bottom of your despair. The Tequesta and Calusa lived in perpetual fear on the isolated chain of coral islands, with the population of their native homelands around Biscayne Bay and Charlotte Harbor only a shadow of their once great numbers. This generation of South Florida's native people had seen it all. They had seen the wave coming and experienced the wave crash upon them with tragic fury. They were fully aware of the existential abyss the Europeans had brought to their doorstep. This generation heard their parents tell stories of the creek first arriving. The shock and utter chaos of it all. They heard their grandparents tell stories of a time before the Creek invasion, when they could walk along the Miami River and hunt in the hammocks without fear of sudden ambush. And they probably heard their grandparents tell stories they had heard from their parents and grandparents, the good old days, when their settlements were full of life, when stability wasn't a long-lost concept. And by this point, the days before the Spanish first arrived were probably reaching legendary status. Remember, it had now been a whole 230 years since De Leon first laid eyes on Biscayne Bay. That was as far in the past to them as the founding of the United States is to us. Assuming that Tequesta had octogenarians around at this time, the days of De Leon would have still preceded their births by 150 years. So, how much worse could it get? The last of the Tequesta faced their final days alone. Ragtag bands huddled in diminishing villages, wandering through the nearly deserted landscape of the hammocks and rocklands, each day staring into the face of annihilation. The wave had finally caught up to the Tequesta and the other South Florida tribes, and when it did, it delivered a ruthless blow. The Tequesta's days were now numbered. Now while South Florida's native tribes were suffering from the effects of European expansion, the Europeans kept expanding. Over the first half of the 18th century, the British colonies that lined the Atlantic seaboard were starting to brush up against the Appalachian Mountains to their west. Meanwhile, the French had dropped down from Canada like a curtain, and they were occupying what is today Ohio and western Pennsylvania and the Mississippi Valley all the way down to the Gulf of Mexico with the Appalachian Mountains to their east. Now keep in mind, a lot of these huge land claims amounted to little more than some guy pointing to some map and saying, that is mine. Maybe engrave some markings on a large stone. But the problem is that, inevitably, some other guy will come around with his own map and say, no, 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 that their land is mine. And unless you have guys there with, like, guns and cannons, there's nothing your pet rock is going to do for you. So when those British colonists looked up at the Appalachians and decided to see if the grass was greener on the other side, much to their dismay, they found the grass was Frencher. And the forts were, too. So in 1754, a British colonial force led by a young George Washington ambushed a company of Frenchmen in the Ohio frontier, in what is today the city of Pittsburgh. The action sparked a conflagration that would consume the entire frontier. Both the French and British recruited natives to their cause, pitting natives against natives, leading the war to be dubbed the French and Indian War by the ultimately victorious British. The French and Indian War was a major turning point in the history of the Americas. By the time the war was over, after almost nine years of fighting, the French were completely gone from continental North America and the British established dominance over the continent's eastern territories. Now, almost an afterthought amidst the fallout of the war was a change that sets up a major landmark in our story, the end of Spanish Florida. Because, yeah, the Spanish, despite having very little skin in the game, managed to lose Florida. In an ill-planned move, Spain had involved itself in the French and Indian War very late in the game, claiming its alliance on the side of France in 1762 after most of the fighting was already over. I guess they figured they could pull up last minute, rub some dirt on their faces, and share in the spoils. Well, the British wasted no time in responding and sent an invasion force to Cuba, capturing Havana, the jewel of the Spanish Caribbean and the cornerstone of the Spanish treasure routes. Now, with Havana in their hands, the British had Spain at their mercy when the war officially ended the following year. And in order to regain Havana, the Spanish had to give up the entire territory of Florida to the British. With the concession of Florida... Spain evacuated much of its population on the peninsula to Havana. They also evacuated the last of the Tequesta and Calusa, their longtime allies despite their ups and downs. The wave had finally carried these first Miamians away. What became of these vestiges of our ancient past is lost to the mists of time. But it is entirely possible that some mixed with the local Cuban population. It's not out of the question that the Tequesta line continues to this day. Perhaps they walk amongst us still, and are yet at home on the shores of Biscayne Bay. Perhaps... They live on in you.